Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst, and I'm your host for the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. Excited to have you with us, folks. We are to the end of our Galatians series. It's been a long stretch, and for those of you who've been with us this entire time, I hope you have enjoyed it and learned a lot about the letter to the Galatians. Uh, So this is going to be Pastor Nathan giving our final address, uh, if you will, and actually these are Paul's final greetings to the church. Uh, Just one last plea, one last encouragement to them. And, uh, and so what Nathan's going to do is do the same for us as well. And so I hope you enjoy this message. Also, I want to let you know for any of our first-time listeners that if you would like to subscribe to this podcast, go ahead and do that. You can do that in our show page. Uh, and then if you'd like to get connected with us, uh, you want to fill out a, uh, a Connect card and let us know a little bit about yourself, and then we can help you take next steps to be part of our community and, uh, and be an impact in the kingdom of God, ultimately. Uh, go to lifechurchcanton.org slash now, and on there is a uh, button where you can click the Connect card. And then lastly, uh, there's also a button there in that same place uh, where you can click Give, and you can learn about how you might like to give to Life Church and how your giving makes an impact as well. So uh, I hope you are able to connect with us. But for now, here is Pastor Nathan with our final message from Galatians. You guys can have a seat. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I wanted to celebrate today. And our songs are all celebratory and excited about Jesus because uh, we are finishing our series on Galatians today, which is really exciting. You're allowed to be excited about that. You're like, finally, 18 weeks of this. I'm about done. No, I think a lot of you are excited about what we're learning. I'm glad that you are here. And if you're like, wow, we're finishing a series. It was 18 weeks long, and it's your first time. I want you to know all of those are on our podcast, which you can listen to at one and a half times speed. I sound so smart at one and a half times speed. I'm like, I listen to myself like weeks later just to check up, and I'm like, wow, I sound good. I sound like I know what I'm talking about. Uh, Or online, you can check all of that out, and I encourage you to do that. If you're new, please fill out that Connect card. If you're in person, uh, it's right there. If not, it's in the the feed. It's a great way for us to connect. And honestly, what's coming up in the next couple weeks, there's so many opportunities for us to connect. In fact, we're going to have opportunities for you to be part of Life Journey, which is a discipleship process, and it's relational. You get to know people. If you want to know some faces in the church and you're new, you want to sign up for Life Journey as you grow into someone who can disciple others. And our life groups are coming up in just a couple of weeks. You'll hear more about that. We have literally hundreds of spots open for you to get involved. So there's no excuses. There's always opportunity. Now, we began this series over three months ago, and I want to encourage you to share to share this series with people. It's been transformational for so many. We want you to share your favorite message, whatever message. Now, not just share it on Facebook and just like throw it up there. No, I'm all for that, a digital evangelist, that's great. But be like an intentional digital evangelist and send it to someone and said, hey, listen, this impacted me and I wanted to share it with you. This whole series is about a fiery rebuke and fierce grace on Paul as he's writing. 
But I want to run through some of our favorite messages that I asked the staff, and that maybe gets you rolling to see who you're going to send yours to. In fact, if you already know, ignore me and do that now. Uh, don't wait. Share this message with someone. So the first one that came to mind in order was, uh, have you lost your mind? The idea that we need to return to grace and to the Spirit of God. And I had to talk about that time where I had, someone had to like go and look and yell for his mind. It was, it was a good time. You'll know if you were there. The second was this idea of walking in your inheritance. This one really stuck out to someone who said, look, show the world who your king is by living like him in inheritance. And then we moved on to a two-part series called Life in the Parentheses. And that really hit home for a lot of us because our lives are on the in-between. The in-between, like there's a pause in our life right now, and we've got to figure out how to be faithful in it and not try to make things go our way, but to rest in that God has it all controlled. Now, then we got to have some, some guest speakers, and we learned about the connected life with Julia Holtz. Uh, it was amazing. And her Admonishments like with the Holy Spirit, we can lower our shields with each other and with God and experience a connected life. Jared talked about the Spirit-built community, the Spirit-built community, the idea that we have the honor of laying a foundation that others get to build on, that we get to build into community and serve. And of course, Vincent was here last week talking about investing in your spirit. Now, if I say, I have to, you would say, my spirit, because he was so good at that. I have to invest in my spirit. A great season for you to be part of this church as we invest in our spirit. The final point we have today for this whole entire series is this, only the cross matters. Only the cross matters. Yeah. Look, I'm done. You guys got it. <laughs> this is uh, Richard Chris's favorite message, I'm sure, because it's about the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want you to know today. Now, his fiery demeanor's not gone. He's still motivated by grace, but he just keeps adding layer on layer, and he is winding down to the very end. Now, I want to treat this exegetically, which just means breaking it down verse by verse, as we've tried to do through this whole series, realizing that there's too much for even us to get through in 18 weeks. I want to go right into it. So Galatians 6:11. See what large letters I use as I write to you in my own hand. I just think of him as like this like old grandpa look, like I'm writing in my own hand. Look how big my letters are. And you're like, what an odd thing to say. That's what a weird place to be. What's happening here? Well, he's been using a scribe this entire time. He's been talking to a scribe and telling him, write this down. But this part is so important to him that he pushes the scribe out of the way and he writes it in his own hand. Now, but why would he tell you that? Why would he say that? Because it seems so odd. Well, he's telling you because... Most people wouldn't have read it. They would have listened to it. They wouldn't have seen the change in the handwriting. They wouldn't have noticed how big the letters were. He is cueing them in to, hey, I wanted to write this with my own hand because it matters to me and you matter to me. Now, it could have been large letters because he wanted to emphasize it. It could have been that his eyesight was bad, and so he had to write in really big letters to be able to see it. And, and one uh, scholar thinks it was because at one point he had gotten crucified like Jesus but survived, and so he couldn't write very well. No matter what, he wanted people to know, I'm writing this. The majority of the Christian experience, those who follow Jesus, have been by those who don't have the Word of God in their hands. 
only a special few. The priests had it up to the 13th century, and it was really hard to get a hold of Scripture at all until the 15th century. That's some perspective. That really only for the last 500, 600 years that we have had access to the Word of God in our hands. So I'm inviting you now to pull it out. It's going to be on the screen, of course, but I find it better when you can look through it. We're going to be in the NIV, so you can pull out your phone and just look up Galatians 6, 11, NIV, or you can pull out your Bible app or whatever. I, I like having it there and referencing back. Every time I listen to someone's message, I encourage you to do that. That's why we did this series in the first place, was to read the Word of God together. Galatians 6, 12. All right, back into his main point. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. They want to do this outward sign. We've talked about this over and over and over again. Can't be a good Christian unless you're circumcised, which goes against grace. But he's saying, look, they are trying to compel you to be circumcised. They want to impress other people, not you, other people. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. There's, there's a lot going on here. He keeps adding things to it. By means of the flesh. They want to impress people by means of the flesh. Paul was concerned with your internal change, our internal change, the church in Galatians' internal change, the heart, not the marks on the outsides, but these Judaizers, these false teachers, they wanted you to be circumcised, an external mark, internal change versus an external mark. But then he talks about another threat. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. What's happening here? Well, there was actually a group of people called the Zealots, and the Zealots were Jewish, and they wanted to make sure that the Jewish way of life was held together. They were going to take over the Romans for sure, but they were also kind of a police force, a little bit of a, you know, they were, they were radicalized. They would kill people. They would destroy things. And, and in our world today, as what's going on in Afghanistan, it's kind of this feeling of people trying to make sure that Judaism stayed pure. So these Christians who are trying to get all these other Gentiles to get circumcised were doing it not so much for all the theological reasons that they already put forward, but also, and maybe more importantly, because they were afraid that their own zealots would kill them, would attack them for allowing Gentiles to be in their midst without being circumcised. They were more afraid of their own people than they were of God and what He wanted. Not only so, in verse 13, not even those who are circumcised keep the law. We talked about that. You can't. Yet, they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. So, they don't want to be persecuted, but they want you to be circumcised for another reasons, to see how many more notches on the belt they could put in, to show people, look, I got this person to be circumcised, I brought this one to the faith. It's almost how many foreskins they could rack up. I mean, I, honestly, that's what's going on here. The, the evidence to show others their zeal for the law of God. It was always about showing others the zeal they had for God. Their love was for the law, but for the approval in the sight of others, not God. And they talked about how they would pray on the streets with their hands open and eyes to the sky and said, thank you, God, I'm not like this sinner right here, like these Gentiles. It was about not being persecuted and about looking good in others' eyes. In another place, Paul wrote this, Romans 2, 29. No, a person is a Jew who is one 
inwardly. There it is again. He's talking about not an external mark, but an inward mark. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Beautiful passage saying, look, the mark of circumcision was supposed to set you apart. I want your heart to be set apart for me. He goes on. And I have a question for you before we go any further. Because this one kind of hit me, the praise of other people, even this week as we were talking about uh, different things in, in, in our um, sermon meetings, it kind of hit me this week. Am, am I concerned about the praise of others or of God? So my question to you is this. Are you more worried about what others think of you than what Jesus thinks of you? Are you more concerned? Do you pay attention more to what other people think of you than Jesus? I'm, I'm going to be honest. For most of us, the answer to that question is, yeah, I care more about what other people think. Let me ask it a different way because this is the way that hits me. Does it cause you anxiety to think someone doesn't understand your motivations, that they get you wrong? If they even post about you or talk about you or they got you wrong, no, you don't understand why I did that. Do you feel like you have to set the record straight? And there's an anxiety, a worry that's like a, a drive that, no, I have to be a cert- seen a certain kind of way. What happens when someone speaks ill of you? Do you feel you must correct them? That might be an indication that you worry more about what others think because if our confidence is in Jesus, then we really don't care what anybody has to say about us. Not at all, except if they're in the body of Christ and they're trying to help us grow. That's it. There's a kind of confidence that comes from this. But here's what I want you to get today. This is the verse, these next two, that I really want to hone in on. Verse 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Only the cross matters. Paul says, let others boast in how many circumcisions they got. Let others boast in their rules. Let them find their worth in what others say about them. Let's the people in power find their worth there. I boast in something actually more noble than any of those things. I boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Doesn't that sound so eloquent? eloquent? It's elegant, it's eloquent, it's, it's beautiful. I boast only in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's after hundreds of years how we observe Paul speaking. Now stick with me just a little bit. The cross, it's very nice. Like We see it everywhere. I mean, we see it in town. Everywhere you go on churches, there's a cross. Everywhere you go, gold chains, people wear it. I'm wearing a cross right now. Paintings of the cross, tattoos, wood sculptures. It's on coffee mugs. It's everywhere. Isn't it, you know, it's just everywhere. You could probably go, if you pay attention, you can't go through one day without seeing a cross somewhere. I boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, the early believers might have had a different feeling about that. They would have acknowledged that Jesus died and rose again, but they may have been hesitant on how he died. They may not share that. Why? Because the cross was the most shameful, embarrassing way to die back then. To be naked, beaten, weak, slowly tortured to death, to be owned 
There's nothing you can do. You have no control over anything. You are owned and you are naked and you are shameful and we would spit on you on those who died on a cross. The unspeakable horror and loathing at the mention of the cross in Paul's day makes this statement very weird. I boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ. It was shameful. I, I, I'm trying to help you understand what that may feel like today, how we shame people today. You know, it could be uh, something like getting beat. If you, you beat someone down to shame them, uh, you spray paint, you vandalize, you make fun of them, those kinds of things. One of the things that uh, we used to do is, is called tar and feathering. Now, it wasn't actually like hot tar where you like boiled them in that and then put feathers on them. No, it was like pine tar and later like hot tar, but it was more sticky and it was more about you couldn't get feathers off of you as a way of exerting control and power. And um, I was looking up online, oh no, when's the last time, you know, we did tar and feathering, and because it's kind of an older one, and I realized it was in 1971 by name, uh, by, of a person named Wiley Brown Lee. Wiley Brown Lee, that's him right there, good looking guy. Uh, he, uh, something happened to him. A couple years after Martin Luther King Jr. was murdered, uh, he saw some racial stuff in his school. He was a, a principal. He was involved in his school, and he started to see some racial incidents, and he decided that he wanted to honor Martin Luther King Jr. in his school as a way of helping move forward in this conversation. Now, what you may not realize is Martin Luther King Jr., like when he died, this is about three years after that, when he died, people didn't look at him the way that we look at him now. Now, back then, if you can actually look at some documentaries, he was, he was a threat to the federal government. Back then, people thought he was divisive, that he was someone who was against the gospel. We look back at him now and quote him in every other moment, but back then, they viewed him a certain way, and it made more of these racial tensions come to mind. Now, here's the crazy part. I looked him up, and I found it. Do you know where he was uh, a principal in? Ypsilanti. The last tar and feathering happened to a principal right down the street. In fact, it was on Napier Road between Ford and Cherry Hill. There's a little bridge there. Go drive it someday. There's a little bridge. And these KKK members, six men, one parked his car across that bridge, and the other was following back from the school board meeting where he was talking about these issues. And they pulled him over, put a shotgun to his head, put him into the ditch, and started to pour five gallons of tar all over him and then feather him and threaten him. And so what did he do? They left him about two hours later. He got back in his car and he drove back to the school board meeting and walked in. There's actually a picture that they took of that moment. And he didn't back down. He didn't let that shame hit him. In fact, in another picture, there's just a smile on his face. You can almost see a little bit of a smile on his face. Like, this isn't going to stop me. Now, we do believe that uh, it does seem to be that a year later he lost his job because he moved forward in that. But the shame didn't hit him in any way. But it wasn't just shameful. It was brutal. It was horrific, the cross. The cross was something that was way worse than you can possibly imagine. You know, in our... In our uh, penal system, they had methods of torture, and they called it the Tucker Telephone. 
That sounds really cute and nice, but it wasn't. What they would do is they'd strip him naked, an individual naked, and they would um, attach electrical diodes to all of the most sensitive areas of the body. And then they would shock them again and again and again. It was torture. It was horrific. It was visceral. I think of the Holocaust. I think of the gas chambers in Auschwitz, and I, I think of the different places where, and we have a picture of that as well, where people were killed, murdered, died, stripped down naked in showers and in gas chambers, put to death. I think of the electric chair. I think of these visceral images that if you look at that electric chair, you know what's going on there. And while that is a painful way to die, it has nothing on the cross. Now I want you to imagine that instead of us walking around with crosses on our neck, we walk around with electric chairs or gas chamber symbols on our chest. That would be very weird, wouldn't it? Except it wouldn't be. That's what we're wearing. That's what we see. <laughs> Paul boasted the most shameful and embarrassing horror device, and we color it in kids' church with crayons. Why? Because it has become something different. It has become about love and sacrifice and ignoring what the world thinks is important and saying, no, what is important is that you worship God and that I open up the opportunity for you to do that. It is about suffering and shame, and it should be. And we've lost that, but it is also about love. See, Paul's writings back then were controversial. They were painful to listen to. They're like, what? You boast in that? That's the part we don't want to talk about. Yeah, he died and he rose again, but left, I don't know about the whole shame thing. Much like Martin Luther King Jr., Paul was considered controversial in his days. You know, we've had hundreds of years of, of, of saying like, oh, he's so saintly, he's so amazing, he's so good. But back then, he would drive people absolutely bonkers. Boasting in the cross was scandalous to the Jews and absolutely absurd to the Greeks, Greeks. But I fear that it's not scandalous to us anymore. We have made it something that it isn't. It's about sacrifice. Let's go back to what he says in 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Not only has Jesus been crucified so have we. We adopt that death, that supposed shame. We die to the world, and the world has died to us. It's ways of making sense, and us wanting things of it is dying over and over again. We should have a lasting separation from the things of this world, the climate of its opinion, the honor and dishonor. That meant nothing to Paul, and it should mean nothing to us. What people honor in this world should not be of importance to us. We turn it on its head. What if only what Jesus said about you mattered? What kind of life would you live? What would that look like? It would be powerful. My fear is that perhaps we found too much favor in what others think of us. Our standing in the eyes of men 
whose systems of ranking is based on law and rules and cultural standards and not, at least from the world's eye, on shameful, horrific, sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. This should turn our world upside down. That's hard. You're like, wait, how does that work in my life? It's going to take time. You're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to kind of show that to you. But one of the ways I see it show up a little bit is this idea of entitlement. Like, there are worship songs that are coming out now that are talking about, let me yield my entitlement, lay it down. Everything I have, I count as lost. Because there's this need for us to change the way we see this, to change the way we view everything we have. You know what I've heard a lot, and you may have said this, I am not pointing anyone out in this because I've heard it so much. I have lost a year to COVID. I'm going to catch up. I deserve that vacation that I didn't get. I deserve that gift. I deserve that right that I didn't have. I am entitled to it. And so we went after them like crazy. People are going nuts going after these things. A summer of us pursuing all the things we felt we were entitled to that we don't have any more. We neglected the worship of Jesus Christ with his body. We neglected supporting it, being there for people. We abandoned the sacrifice of the cross for entitlement, to look good in front of other people, I don't know, but to to get mine. We have forgot that at the fundamental heart of who we are is a death to the world and a death of the world to us. I'm afraid we no longer boast in the saving sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That we're no longer driven by the new life others get to experience. That we want to encounter Jesus, yeah, but we don't really want to pursue other people so they can encounter Jesus. And I definitely don't want to do whatever it takes, wherever it takes me. Because wherever it takes me may be away from my vacations, may be away from the car I want, may be away from the shows I want to watch. Which when you think about life and death, the things I just mentioned, they're, they're dumb. They're dumb. They might seem like they matter so much to you, but compared to death, they are nothing. But we've made them so much because we've forgotten the sacrifice. And when we forget the sacrifice, I'm telling you, you don't actually get to experience in the feeling and fullness of the love because we have so pushed that out of our mind, we can't be grateful for what we've been saved for. Galatians 6.15, getting back in the word here, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but what counts is the new creation. 18 weeks of us arguing about circumcision and uncircumcision, and at the very end, he says it doesn't matter. Oh, Paul. Now, what he's saying is, listen, if your heart, your heart, your new life in Jesus Christ, that's all that matters. The rest is so external. It doesn't matter at all. If you don't have that heart right, if you are not dedicated to Jesus, if you're not experiencing the love of Jesus Christ every single day, who saved you from your brokenness and sin again and again and calls you to a life of service, a life of joy in service, and ultimately to be part of the greatest story of redemption in all of the universe, you're missing it. New life is all that matters. To insist on old traditions is wrong, scandalous. It's actually scandalous. It's actually 
anti-Christ, and it's actually ridiculous. He's like, the idea of whether you're circumcised or not mattering in the grand scheme of things is so ridiculous. Only the cross matters. Only new life matters. Everything else can be thrown away. Do not let time make Paul's message less challenging. He would have been seen as someone who is absolutely nuts to say what he said. Verse 16, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel, Israel of God. Peace and mercy are for those who die to the world and die to themselves. They become the inheritance of God. You may know this passage, and I, I'm going to try to get through it without getting emotional. But this is something I've turned into a song, it's a poem, but listen. When I survey the wondrous cross, where the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? His dying crimson, like a robe, spread over his body on the tree. Then am I dead to all the globe, and all the globe is dead to me. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Only the cross matters. Only new life found in that sacrifice matters. And he wanted them to know that with his own hand. What needs to be crucified in your life? What needs to be put to death? What entitlement do you need to lay down? What right do you need to give up? The answer is all of it. But what is the Holy Spirit calling you to do today? Verse 17. And from now on, let no one cause me any trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, a shift, a closing, a finality to this. The matter is closed. That's all I have to say about that, is what he's saying. I'm done talking to you about that. What else is there to say? I don't serve you, Galatian church. I serve God. It's not for you to judge me because you're not my master. God is. I'm done talking about this. Don't talk to me about it again. Then he goes on to say, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What is that? Well, he says, hey, the external mark of circumcision, he's definitely not talking about that. He's saying, oh, oh don't worry about that. I do have some other marks, though. I have some dents. I have some holes. I have some bruising. I have some things that don't quite lay right in my body anymore. My shoulders don't hit the right way because I was beaten at Lystra, and his eventual life is just one of beating and death. He says, I bear some marks, some scars, as proof to who I belong to. I have sacrificed for God. I belong to him. The cross and dying to it led him to be scarred, just like his Savior. And in other verses, he says, I rejoice in my suffering for the sake of Jesus. I don't rejoice in much of my suffering for God, but he does. He does. 
because he understands that only the cross matters. I can't care what you think. I can't care what these Judaizers think because I'm obsessed with what God thinks about me. And all that is left is my love for God and how he has saved me over and over and over and over and over. And that freedom also means I don't have to arrive. I don't have to do a certain kind of things. I don't have to be the perfect person. All that matters is what Jesus has done for me. Only the cross matters. Do you understand it? Only the cross matters. I'm going to say it again. Only the cross matters. Only the cross matters. Now listen, you're going to say, but what about only the cross matters? And, but shouldn't we only the cross matters? But shouldn't I only the cross matters? The rest means nothing. Jesus will handle the rest. And he ends with verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits, brothers and sisters. Amen. Let it be so. So what happened? What happened after Galatians? Did this do anything? Yes, it did. Two things I see. There's many, but just two. One. The practice of circumcision to earn God's favor among the Gentiles stopped. It ceased. It did not continue. There was a redemption of that. A prophetic voice of Paul changed everything forever. And that's why we don't do circumcision for those males who accept Jesus. You know, that's, we don't do that anymore. Second, what happened? The cross, the symbol of shame, became the greatest symbol of love in all the world the world got turned on its head. What now? What do you do as we close this whole series? What are you supposed to do with all this as we move forward? One, you need to reject legalism. We learned that. Reject religious practices. Reject being a good Christian. Only the cross matters. Run after Jesus Christ and the cross. Remember what he has done for you and bring that to other people. That is what matters most. And whatever voice responds, what everything came up as I was talking, take it captive. Take it captive, the thoughts you have, but shouldn't we and shouldn't this and what about that? Take it captive, grip it, take it to the cross, give it to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you have to say about this? And listen to what he has to say. Does this add something to Jesus to earn salvation or identity or meaning or worth or control? And if it is, it needs to be put to death inside of you and then rests in the grace that you have and experience joy and love as you've stripped everything away. Here's my action steps. Invest in your spirit. Make church a rhythm again. Many of us, we get out of rhythm in the summer or because of the pandemic. Make it a rhythm again. Make it a discipline again. Don't stop at all. Don't miss a week. Invest in your spirit. Support the mission here. Support what God is doing here. Be part of it. Be invested. And you're going to hear a million ways to do that in the next couple weeks. Make a decision now to do that. You can do that in one of the ways by investing in your spirit, by joining a life group, uh, September 12th, we're going to have all kinds of information. It's our code series, You Belong, and it'll be a life Sunday. There's hundreds of opportunities where you're going to be able to talk to and interact. You'll find out more information and choose to be part of a group. It is time for you to be part of community. And finally, share the good news. Share your favorite message directly with someone that you care about. Be a digital evangelist. 
and share with people the hope that you have found. I want to end with another famous song and poem. And I want you to focus for a moment on that. Will you stand with me? If you could close your eyes, open up your hands, just listen. At the very end of this passage, I'm going to invite those who need to follow Jesus for the first time, need to crucify themselves to the world, who need to follow or recommit their lives. They're going to have a chance to do that as we close. We're going to read this and pray, and then we're going to worship God. Listen, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice calling out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. God, for those who are committing their lives to Jesus again, committing for the first time in this moment, this moment of decision to turn our eyes back to the cross, to the death that paid for us, but also the new life that gives us the ability to serve God and know him. I pray that they would make this decision now with me and they would do it by talking to you you are there, you are here, you are with us, and you are speaking. And may they pray something like this. May they say something like this in their heart out loud or quietly or silently, that they would make this their own. They would say something like this, God, I am broken. God, I need someone to rescue me. I believe that Jesus died a horrific death to pay for me, my sins, my brokenness. And you're telling me, God, that all I have to do is choose to accept this payment. So I choose it. And then you call me to follow Jesus and die to the world and die to myself And though I don't know what it will cost me, I choose it. Make me new. Give me new life so I may follow you forever. Thank you again for listening and for joining us for this message. Uh, I had this thought. um, At the end of every message, we usually try to invite people um, to know Jesus for maybe the first time or to... Um, know him in a new way. And we recognize that um, many people have come from different backgrounds, different church upbringings, or maybe no church at all. And so that can seem like a strange thing, maybe an awkward thing, 
um, maybe even an uncomfortable thing. Um, and so if, if it's confusing in any way to, to hear a statement like, do you want to know Jesus? Um, or do you want to know Jesus in a new way? Or do you want to commit your life to him? Would you reach out to us and ask us about what we mean when we say that? Um, and we would love to have a conversation with you about what that means. Um, and then make sure to connect with us. Like I said at the beginning, if you want to have a question or you want to ask a question, you want to connect with us, go to lifechurchcanton.org slash now. Uh, and then you're going to be able to click on that connect card and uh, fill that out. And then we'll be in touch with you. We'd love to meet you if we haven't met you already. Um, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and we'll see you back here real soon.